It was back in episode 55 that I first tackled the topic of collagen supplements. It proved to be one of my most popular episodes ever, and for good reason, as there is a growing evidence base to support many of the health claims made about collagen, from improving skin health to perhaps even helping with sports injury recovery and osteoarthritis. In this podcast, I give an update on the growing scientific evidence for the use of collagen supplements. I'll also explain how there is certainly a plausible biological mechanism to explain how this particular dietary protein source can have a targeted benefit even after digestion. So if you haven't caught my previous podcast on collagen supplements, let's do a quick refresh about collagen itself. Collagen's key role is as a major structural protein in numerous tissues of the body, including tendons, ligaments, cartilage, blood vessels, and skin. It is so abundant in the body that it makes up almost 30% of our total protein mass. The structure of collagen is characterized by a triple helix arrangement of chains of 1,014 amino acids, which forms a very strong structure. Think of collagen like a rope, with many fibers intertwined to make it strong. No wonder then its key role is in forming a scaffold for the structure and strength of tissues such as skins and bones. Collagen though is not one molecule, but at least 28 distinct types. But it is types 1, 2 and 3 collagens that are the most abundant in your body. You'll find type 1 collagen in the connective tissue of tendons, ligaments, corneas, bones and skin. You'll find type 3 collagen usually found along with type 1 collagen in the skin and blood vessels, while type 2 collagen is mostly found within cartilage. Now, when it comes to oral collagen supplements, it is hydrolyzed collagen that dominates the market. Hydrolyzed simply means the breaking down of a molecule with water. Hydrolyzed proteins are smaller in length compared to undenatured whole proteins, so they're generally absorbed faster and more efficiently. Hydrolyzed collagen is also much more soluble than its precursor of gelatin, so it is much more convenient to put into drinks. The collagen that is used in supplements can be derived from numerous sources, including cattle, pigs, chicken, and marine sources. It's a nice use of what would essentially be a waste product in the processing of these animals and fish for human consumption. But why even bother with taking a collagen supplement? Surely all protein just becomes an amino acid soup in our body after digestion. It's a common criticism I read about collagen supplements in the popular press for articles that completely dismiss any benefit of it because of this digestion issue. If it was completely digested into single amino acids, then such criticism may be valid. The thing is, that isn't the case. And when you appreciate that there is a valid mechanism to explain how collagen can be specifically utilized by the body, then that forms the basis of giving credibility to any clinical trials that follow. One plausible physiological mechanism is that hydrolyzed collagen, in the form of small collagen peptides, can increase significantly in the blood after ingestion. 
Peptides are short chains of amino acids. And in the case of collagen, these are unique of either two or three amino acids long, called dipeptides and tripeptides. It is to do with the structure of collagen that is heavily made up of three specific amino acids, called glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, that exist in repeating sequences. And fun fact, the, the amino acid hydroxyproline requires vitamin C for its production, and it is why vitamin C deficiency leads to poor wound healing and bleeding gums of the disease called scurvy, because the collagen is too weak. After ingesting collagen, it is actually possible to measure levels of these unique collagen peptides in the blood, so they certainly can pass through the digestion and absorption process. These collagen peptides and free amino acids are then distributed in the body, in particular to the skin, where it's been shown, at least in rat studies, that they can remain in place for up to two weeks. It gets more interesting when you know that these collagen peptides can also act as signaling molecules that bind to receptors on the surface of fibroblasts. Fibroblasts are skin cells that are major factories for collagen. And guess what the binding of the collagen peptides to fibroblast receptors does? It stimulates them to produce collagen, as well as elastin and hyaluronic acid. One theory is that collagen peptides in the blood are a marker for collagen breakdown, so are acting to signal the body that it needs to produce more collagen. So we have here clear evidence that collagen protein can produce byproducts after digestion that are quite unique. The peptides can be specifically stored in the skin and can stimulate skin protein production such as collagen as well as molecules involved in water retention, such as hyaluronic acid. Now for an update on the evidence base for what clinical trials in humans have to say about hydrolyzed collagen. Back in podcast episode 55, when I first covered collagen, I said how surprised I was when I went digging into the evidence for just how much there was. At the time, I could count 12 randomized control trials showing a favorable benefit of supplementation with hydrolyzed collagen on skin health, specifically markers of skin elasticity, hydration, and wrinkles. And there was even a 2019 review that looked at 11 studies involving over 800 people and with doses of collagen hydrolysate ranging from 2.5 to 10 grams per day that also supported a benefit. And with every study showing some type of positive outcome, all with no reported adverse events. Well, since that podcast, a more in-depth, systematic review and meta-analyses has been published. In the paper published in the International Journal of Dermatology, which I'll link to in the show notes, 19 clinical trials were included, and all of them were randomized controlled trials where both the people taking the supplements and the researchers were blinded to if a person got the collagen or a placebo. And the results are clear and consistent benefit of hydrolyzed collagen on skin hydration, skin elasticity, and wrinkles. The analysis also reported 
that it couldn't see any evidence of a publication bias in the field. A publication bias is an indication that only more positive studies are published, and perhaps less favourable research is buried, so this clearly could be an issue. This is a really important point, as another criticism I see of collagen supplements in dismissing any benefit they can have is that somehow the positive evidence is just a sign of industry-sponsored research and it can't be trusted. Firstly, that is an absolute lazy form of argument when it comes to critiquing scientific evidence. Research should always be evaluated on the merits of the study, not who funded it. While it can be true that industry-funded research is more likely to report a positive finding, that can be because less favourable research is not published. The review I've covered here could not find evidence of that. And do you know what else? Among all of those 19 clinical trials covered in the review, many of them were not funded by a manufacturer of collagen supplements, nor did any of the research team have any conflicts of interest to declare. And those studies were just as likely to report a positive benefit as studies funded by industry. And the people who put this latest review together also had no conflict of interest to declare or had any funding source tied to makers of these hydrolyzed collagen supplements. I've focused this update on the benefits of hydrolyzed collagen on skin health because that's where most of the evidence is. But the research evidence in other areas such as osteoarthritis and injury repair is growing. And the research looks promising so far and it is why such supplements are now being recommended for athletes as part of soft tissue injury recovery. And it's not all about skin and joints. There is some really interesting preliminary work showing that hydrolyzed collagen may be effective at improving insulin sensitivity, glucose and lipid metabolism, and reducing high blood pressure in people with type 2 diabetes. So certainly watch this space as the research develops. So let's wrap this up. For hydrolyzed collagen, it reads like a shopping list of health benefits that sound too good to be true. But for those who are regular listeners of this podcast, you would know that I have a high evidence threshold for making claims. And at least with collagen, there definitely appears to be something to the story, especially for skin health. Or for something that is naturally part of foods and has little evidence of any adverse problems. If you want to trial it yourself, look past all the glossy promotion of expensive powdered supplements touted by insta-influencers, and just evaluate a supplement based on price. For that, just look at how much actual collagen is in it and work out the price per gram, as that is the best way to shop around to make valid comparisons. And you only need a few grams per day. Some supplements may contain a long list of other ingredients such as vitamins, minerals and herbals, but it is the collagen that is the star of the show here. So just focus on that rather than pay for overpriced collagen. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on if it supports it or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even 
leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible, evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition. Thank you.